Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's the half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking in Circles, a special edition today of Talking in Circles. As we wait for Steve Wade, we're going to talk to him about the life and career of James Hilton. Uh, James Hilton passed away last week on his way home from the ARCA race at Talladega, Alabama, in an automobile accident with his son, James Jr. We're going to talk to Steve Wade, from uh, formerly of NASCAR scene for a lot of years, uh, worked also in TV for a while. We'll talk to him here coming up uh, right now about the life and career of James Hilton. Steve, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yes. Uh, first of all, uh, what was your relationship like with James as a uh, as a competitor and you as a reporter? You know, you started in the 70s. James was a, a big independent there, was a big voice for independent race car drivers. Uh, what was your relationship like with James? Well, it was, it was um, very good in the sense that I was just starting out in the sport. And as every reporter can tell you, eventually you have to have somebody in your field that you can go to, your go-to guy, to give you all the latest that's going on. Uh, coincidentally, mine happened to be James because he was uh, had family in Roanoke where I was working at the time. So I started him out, and we hit it off pretty good. And uh, from that point on, in the early 70s, I would make a point of going to see him and see what was going on. He'd lead me in the right direction, tell me the latest episodes, uh, what was going on in the garage area, and, and even what he thought about NASCAR, of course. So um, I counted on him to steer me right, and that worked out to be a very good situation for me. Uh, can you explain what the independence meant? I mean, I know a lot of fans. It's hard for fans to imagine. Yeah. You know, if you became a NASCAR fan in the last 10 years, it's hard to imagine the amount of independents there were and what the independents really meant to the sport and really what an independent was, where they made their own chassis, made their own engines, worked sure. on their own cars. Uh, what was the independent, you know, scene like back in the 70s? Well, the, the word independent got used because of it, it, this group of drivers who did not have significant sponsorship at all. And most of them owned their own cars, okay? That was by far the majority of the competitors in NASCAR during this particular time. So they were called independent because they were independent of any sponsorship arrangements or any arrangements with NASCAR that allowed a, a small handful of drivers to have that. They were the ones that won races. The independents were... Let's call them field fillers. They were the guys that were constantly passed by the winners. And their, their goal, their only goal, was trying to make enough money to stay in business. That was the situation at the time. It's not like that now. Just forget about it. It does not exist anymore, and it hasn't for quite some time. But these guys were the ones who were the backbone of NASCAR. By the same token, they were not the winners. They were in a very tough situation trying to race to live. That's the difference. Uh, Rex White said that James was one of the hardest-working guys he's ever met. Uh, do you agree with that, and do you have an example of that? Yeah, I would agree. I would agree that he 
one of the hardest. Let me, let me, he was one of the hardest working guys. When he started out as the rookie of the year in 1966, he didn't race for himself at that time, but he didn't race for any major team that had the money to, to do. A Junior Johnson or a Holman and Moody or a Petty Enterprise or a Wood Brothers. Those are the elite teams. Uh, and, and, and North Cross Golf, K&K. They were the elite teams that could win races at any given on any given weekend. James was with another type of one of those team owners who didn't have that kind of money, but feel the team anyway. And these guys, what James did with this team was that they got together and did what they could to make money and to try to win. And their strategy was, let's go out there and possibly can and do what is called points racing. That's where you're out there to try to do the best you can, not win. You just want to finish as high as you possibly can because that means the higher you finish in points, the more money you make at the end of the season. You have a chance to make a profit. And James and his teams that he raced for did that for six straight years from 1966 through 1992. And during that time, James finished second three times, and third, two times. So it paid off as far as getting the points money that was available. One problem, however, the points money was not nearly enough to cover your cost when you were racing 40 to 45 races a year to make that kind of money. That's where the problem set in. And after that particular point in time, James had to settle into a different role. He could try his best to race for points, but without the financial backing to stay alive, the points money was just simply not enough. Very, very interesting. We're talking to Steve Wade here, formerly of NASCAR scene, and uh, you know did some TV as well uh, here, talking about the life and career of James, the late James Hilton. Um, you know, a lot of people look at James Hilton as sort of the, the uh, you know, the guy who was probably one of the best independents of all time. You mentioned he finished second in points. The the drivers he finished second in points to, uh, no, I, they might I, they might might be uh, pretty popular in Richard Petty and David Pearson. Well, yeah, James was very popular in the garage area because even the winning drivers uh, admired his effort. That was number one. Number two, he's a pleasant guy. I mean, he was not belligerent. He was not bellicose or anything of that nature. But as time evolved, he stood up for himself and other drivers like him. From the period of 1972 to 1976, the drivers then known as the Independents, they were dying out. Not have enough money to continue doing uh, a racing thing week to week. The problem was Without that money, now imagine this, without the money to succeed and these independent drivers slowly dying away, what would NASCAR become? Think about it for a minute. Right. If these guys went away, you got five or six guys that can win race, and that's it. What kind of a show is that? What kind of a show is that? So James had the idea, and he wasn't the only one, but he was the one that took it forward that unless we get some kind of guarantee 
that we can earn some kind of money every week that we compete. And this is what he told me. NASCAR isn't going to have anybody to pass. What kind of racing is that? Exactly. (laughs) And he had a point. He had a point. 30 guys. 30 guys. He recruited 30 guys. Well, he didn't recruit. Yeah. They joined. They had some clout. Now they had some clout. And their mission was to see to it that he could arrange a deal with NASCAR to say, okay, we just want some kind of guaranteed money for showing up and competing so we can make our budgets work. We don't make any money unless the promoters at the track give us some tow money after it's over. Here's 250 here's 500 Thanks for being here. Well, the most of them didn't do that. So they were just left stranded, and it was getting worse. So to finish the story here, at that, at that time in 1976, the rumbling started at Darlington during the Southern 500. Back to the media first got the idea that something was going on. And it spread to Charlotte and then on to Martinsville, where it came to a head. It was at Martinsville that the uh, uh, independents told Bill France, unless you do something right now, and this was in a meeting, unless you do something right now, we will have a press conference tomorrow to announce we're pulling out. And then what have you got left? Now, <clears throat> that was a pretty fair state for those guys. I think it was a reasonable thing for them to do. Bill France thought it was reasonable, too. He was nobody's fool. And uh, I remember him coming out of that meeting in Martinsville and said to me, I think we got something settled. <clears throat> and what he came up with was... That what is known now today is plan money. And he said that every driver who enters a Winston Cup race for the full season and attempts to qualify for each race will get a guaranteed amount of show money from each and every track. And I think the amounts range from 500 to $1,000, depending upon the size of the track. Well, that really increased the budgets of the independent drivers and allowed them to continue to race. And that was a good thing for NASCAR. And I'll remind you of this. And it's called plan money back then. Now think about what's happened from then until this day. We have never lost any kind of plan money in NASCAR. I don't care if you call it the winner's circle program. I don't care if you call it plan B. I don't care if you call it charters. It exists to this day, and that's absolutely. Where it and, yeah, and you know, you never know what would have happened back then if you know maybe Jimmy Means' career or Jerry McDuffie's career isn't as long as it is without James. Well, think you know, about it. Uh, put, think about it. If that hadn't been done, no Richard Childress, no, hmm. no, no Buddy Arrington, no, no, who knows what have would have happened? I mean, you would have lost thirty drivers a week from going to your shows. And, uh, you know, that just could not happen. Now, it came up back then. The reason it it turned good to a point was that the the drivers that would have been out of business continued to go in business, and the point money kept going up. And another problem that I failed to mention, the persons at the racetrack stopped being stale. 
they went up. And maybe five years after all this came to a head, several of these independent drivers, and Jerusalem among them, had $1 million per season in earnings because they went after the points and did well in the points. All of a sudden, they were earning a million dollars a year at the end of the year. Of course, that did not include their expenses, but that was unheard of. I think it's a tremendous shift in the direction NASCAR could have gone in. Yeah, and, it, it, you know, did it, and you would know better than this, and this is a question that I just came up with on a fly. Did that have anything to do with the Wood Brothers going full-time in the 80s? What do you think? Let's see. I think yeah, the Wood Brothers never chased points until the uh, younger generation of the Woods, meaning Eddie and Lynn, took over, and I'm guessing, if I remember correctly, it was well into the 80s, or into the 80s before they started to do that. The Woods uh, never chased points after before that. They only went to the races that paid money, and those were the super speedway races at the time. And they got to, they could hone their team and hire the drivers that were especially good at those types of races, and that's where they were making their money. The only race on the short track they ran was Martinville, (laughs) because they were, they were what, uh, 25, 30 miles away at the most. And And Clayton was a marginal. Oh, he paid them. Don't make no mistake. (laughs) He paid them to show up. So they were, they were, they were profitable in what they did. Absolutely. A couple more about James here quick. What can you tell us about James Jr.? I know James Hilton, obviously, we all, we all know who, if you're an old-school race fan, you know a lot about him. What about his son? It seemed like they had a really great relationship. His son did a lot with him. Uh, what can you tell us about him? You talking about James' son? James Jr., yeah, Tweety. Tweety, yeah, that's what I thought you I only met Tweety a few times. Uh, his His racing career was very short and uh, somewhat inglorious. But he got, I don't know how he got the nickname Tweety, but the few times I met him and talked with him and Jay at the same time, I have to be a very, very pleasant and very intelligent young man. I mean, even James said he, I don't know what, I don't know what he got this, but he's a very smart guy. And James also said, okay, so he's weird. I mean, he was not, he was not, he wasn't, he was not cut from the Southern stock car mold. I thought, I don't know, I lost, I lost track of him. I don't know what he did. I heard, and please don't, don't write that to make this, uh, you know, the final opinion of him. I heard he was a school teacher uh, at one point. I know that he was smart enough to be, but in the end, he, he worked with his father in, throughout uh, his father's career in NASCAR and both in ARCA. But he was not. He was not a James Hilton. Uh, I will quote James. He was much more, as James told me, pleasant and smarter. That's what he was. <laughs> interesting. Uh, and very interesting. Yeah. Uh, Final question here. What do you think, what do you want the fans to remember most about James Hilton? If there's one memory or one uh, thing about James Hilton that you want the fans to take away from his life and his career, what is it? 
Well, the one thing that I I think that uh, I I don't have to want this. I think James has already done this. Number one, there are a lot of people today don't even know who he was. And what little bit of information I've been able to pass on tells them, I think, two things. Number one, he was an excellent race driver. During the early stages of his career, given different circumstances, James Hilton could have won multiple championships. That was not to be. But here's the most important thing. He was not necessarily the catalyst, but he was the force that carried on at a very difficult time for NASCAR, change. And he was the one that was behind a lot of the difficulty uh, remedies provided to bring NASCAR to, uh, out of, to my opinion, a rather dark stage into a catalyst of a new era. So when people do that, if they study that, they'll, they'll see that he definitely has a place in NASCAR history and NASCAR lore, not so much as a driver. He's not a Richard Petty. He's not a David Pierce. He's not a Bobby Alton. He is James Hiller. And think about this for a minute. If he had not been there to help do what he did from 1972 to 76 and beyond, where would this sport be? That's what I'm trying to tell you that it might have gone an entirely different way. It might have gone to a point where it had a different point in history. It might have gone to where it didn't even exist. That's, that's where you have to understand. Yeah, that's, that's pretty incredible stuff. You can't read in stat books for sure. Steve, thank you so much for your time tonight. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up soon, soon. Okay. Thank you. My pleasure. Anytime. All right. All right. Thank you very much, Steve. That was Steve Wade from uh, formerly NASCAR scene. Uh, if you remember Winston Cup scene back in the day, he also was uh, one of the original hosts on what was then called NASCAR this morning when it was form- formed into NASCAR Race Day. Um, he was one of the original hosts on Fox Sports, uh, Fox Sports Network or whatever that was called, FS1 uh, now. We have SSN1 now, which was Speed. Um, so one of the original hosts there as well. But talk about James Hilton, listen, obviously there's things that you can't see in the stat book. And this is multiple times I've heard this, that he's come out and he was sort of the voice for independent race car drivers. And uh, he will certainly be missed uh, uh, by everybody in the NASCAR circuit. Um, and everybody that, that met him, all you hear this week is how great of a guy he was and uh, just how hard of a worker he was and how great of a race car driver he was. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles in this interview with Steve Wade. We'll see you next time on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.